Welcome to my podcast, Traumatic Transformations, where we help you find hope, peace, and purpose after a big life change or a traumatic event. I'm your host, Gunjani Patel, and I'm a licensed mental health therapist, trauma specialist, and a neuroscience nerd. Join me as I dive deep into resiliency, post-traumatic growth, and normalize mental health to reduce the stigma associated with it. In each episode, I plan to deliver science-backed, actionable tips and strategies so you can take back the control over your life and be inspired to be the best version of yourself with each day forward. So tune in every Tuesday for a featured guest and every Thursday for a solo episode with me, where we unpack mind, body, brain, and spirit connections related to each episode with the featured guest. Just a quick disclaimer before we begin today. The purpose of this podcast is to inform you, educate you, and raise your awareness. It is not intended to replace any medical advice or professional help seeking that you may need. So please use this information wisely and any opinion that I cast is not to replace any medical advice. And quickly before we start today, I just wanted to ask you a favor. If you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe so you never have to miss an episode. Thank you so much. And if you rate and review, it would really help us with the algorithm so people can easily search the show if they would like. So I would really love to hear your feedback and what you have to say uh, so I can bring you the content that's most fit for you. Thank you so much. Today I have with us very amazing guest. Her name is Kristen Hunter Larson, and she's a stay-at-home mom to two beautiful children. She's a registered dental hygienist, lover of all things adventurous and outdoors, and passionate about being a wife, mom, daughter, sister, and a friend. And she's also a host to the Lightning the Shadows podcast, which she's very passionate about, which also focuses and is directed to audiences that are affected by mental illness in some way. Her intent through the show was to bring hope and peace to others by battling the stigma around mental challenges and providing tools and directions for those who are struggling. Very much so what the things that we focus on. So we're really excited to have her on our show today and talk about some of her adversities and how she's now thriving through life as a result of some hard, very difficult things that she has been able to overcome with true grit. So, so thank you so much for being here, Kristen. And can't wait. Thank to you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, um, it's our pleasure. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about your background, your, you know, um, journey of what some of your trauma look like. And um, just give us a a little bit of a a background about you. Okay. So first of all, I'm echoing. I don't know if that's, well, maybe I'm not echoing now. Okay, we're good. (laughs) I was echoing for a minute. Um, So I, like you said, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And I also am a dental hygienist and like you said, very passionate about mental health um, because I have faced many challenges in that regard um, surrounding mental health. I grew up in a, a wonderful family, wonderful home, but we all kind of struggled a little bit with something called perfectionism. And, you know, back in the day, (laughs) Yes. Back in the day, I was a 4.0 student. I 
was a very good kid, um, grew up very in a very Christian home. I'm still practicing Christianity. But along with that, I just had this overruling feeling that I had to be perfect to be worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And I would attach my identity as a person to what I was accomplishing or not accomplishing. So if I got an A minus, that meant I wasn't a good enough person. That was an an attack on who I was. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't something that my my parents or anyone really told me it was just kind of a, the way that my mind developed and the way that I thought growing Mm. up subconsciously, I wasn't even aware of it, Mm. but things like that. If I, you know, I, I never swore, I never said a swear word or watched a bad movie or like, I was just a very goody, good kid. But I felt like if I were to mess up, if I were to make a mistake that I wasn't worth love, that my family wouldn't love and accept me, that God wouldn't love and accept me. Mm. And so therefore I couldn't love and accept myself. Wow. And not only did I struggle with this perfectionism, but I noticed it in my siblings as well. Mm. Uh, my little sister. So I have two brothers and a little sister and we just all were best friends growing up, just really mm. close. But I was especially close to my little sister, Kimber. Mm. And growing up, I had two people in my life. I was pretty shy kid, Mm -hmm. but I had two people in my life that I turned to the most. And that was my mom Mm. and my little sister. And I felt like I could just trust my heart and my soul, Mm. both my mom and my sister and everyone else. I kind of put on that perfect mask, Mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. I was that Mm -hmm. perfect girl because if I wasn't perfect, they wouldn't love and accept me. Mm. Um, But I let down my guard a little bit around my sister and my mom. Mm. And I was able to have conversations a little bit, um, not enough, but a little bit about perfectionism and with my mom and my sister. And I knew that my family kind of struggled with that. Mm. Um, And growing up, I watched my little sister uh, battle some things that I actually wasn't even aware of Mm. until she was in high school and I was in college. And she came to me and and told me that she was battling severe mental illness. Um, Mm -hmm. She was struggling with eating disorders, that same perfectionism of, I have to look this certain way. I have to be a size two. I have to, you know, fit that mold of this perfect looking body Mm -hmm. um, in order to be accepted and loved. And if I can't look this, if I can't look this certain way, Mm -hmm. then I'm not worth love. Then I don't have value. Mm -hmm. And I saw her struggle with that. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it was less about my body and more about my personality. Mm -hmm. You know, I labeled myself as awkward or insecure. And therefore, you know, if I, if I'm not this confident, perfect person, Right. People won't love and accept me. God won't love and accept me. Mm. But with her, it was a lot. It was a little bit of both, but more um, what I perceived as, you know, outward appearances. Sure. And so she, she struggled with these things. And um, but when she struggled, she would she would internalize. She wouldn't go outward. She wouldn't talk to people. Mm. And everyone around her saw this perfect, happy, bubbly, fun, beautiful girl. Mm. And then when she was suffering with those battles, those terrible internal battles, she would go home and isolate until she could feel better. Mm. And that's when she would self-harm. 
and then just feel miserable. And then when she felt like she could put on that perfect mask, just like I felt, you know, I had to be that perfect person. Then she would, um, she would go out in public and she would be that happy, spontaneous, fun person. Everyone knew her as, um, and so it was just this idea that we both had and my brother struggled with a little bit too. And even my parents of you have to be perfect to be loved and accepted. Um, and unfortunately about five years ago, Kimber, her mental battles took her to a place where she couldn't fight anymore. Mm. And when I was 22, um, no, I wasn't 22. And like five years ago, I was not 22. <laughs> she was 22. <laughs> I was 25. Hmm. Um, that gives you my age, I guess. But well, we're not. I got you. the call. <laughs> I got the call when she was 22 and I was 25 that she had taken her own life. Hmm. So and it was the hardest thing. Um, one of the hardest things in my life that I've ever gone through is receiving that call and hearing my dad sob Mm -hmm. on the other line and just being completely crushed because like I said, she was my confidant. She was my best Mm -hmm. friend and to lose her, it felt like a little part of me died with her because all of a sudden I didn't have, I couldn't be that person that I was around her. When I was around her, she brought out the fun, happy, silly person um, that I could be when I was around her. And all of a sudden that person was gone too, because she was gone. And so it was like, not only did I lose her, my best friend, Mm -hmm. but I also lost a part of my identity. Um, Yeah, it was, it was really hard, but going through that grief, my therapy became um, creativity. Mm-hmm. My sister was a very creative soul. And so she inspired me at the end of her life. She started to battle that. that like she was really putting up a fight um, mm-hmm. around perfectionism. She chopped her hair short and she didn't wear makeup anymore. And she started to just create and she decided, you know, I could create anything And creating something is better than not creating anything at all. Even if it scribbles on a page, creating something is creating is better than not creating anything at all. And so that just really stuck with me Mm -hmm. has ever since she told me that a couple, like a couple months before she passed away that she told me that. Mm -hmm. And so that was my therapy after she passed away. I just created, I put my heart and my soul on paper and I wrote poems and I wrote songs and I am not much of a, an artist as far as like painting and drawing goes. Um, I've done a little bit of that, but she was very good at painting me. Not so much, but I created a lot of poetry and, and songs and every night I would just come home. Um, well, I wouldn't come home cause I was already home. But I would stay up after I put my daughter, I had an eight-month-old daughter mm-hmm. at the time, and I put her to bed, sat down, and I would just write music and poetry from like eight o'clock to 11 o'clock at night when my husband came home from work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was my therapy. Wow. Um, but through that time, things got a little more difficult, and I think 
my struggle, and I think a lot of people struggle with mental illness, mm-hmm. is it becomes an attack on your identity in some way. Absolutely. It um, is a, a miss sort of an interpretation of our identity to the very yeah. core. A lot of times yes. we feel that we're not good enough. We're not worth yes. We're not lovable. We're the yes. that we form about ourselves, mm-hmm. the, and the thoughts or the environment that we grow up in can mm-hmm. be very debilitating which is what leads to mental illness which is what mental illness exactly is, is that exactly and your identity are not aligned with who you think or who you want yeah exactly and it can come through addiction it can come through perfectionism like myself it could come through um depression i mean so many it could come from past abuse yeah. trauma like there's so many different yeah. ways for for that to develop but at its core mm-hmm. depression does feel like an attack on your identity depression anxiety mental illness i saw that with my sister it was i am bad you know i am this mental illness it is me therefore I will not get better. I cannot find hope. Right. Um, and you attach your identity to it. So for me, that perfectionism, it was, okay, now I lost my sister. I wasn't good enough to keep her alive. Mm. I wasn't good enough. I didn't love her enough. I wasn't enough of a friend, a sister. A, I didn't do enough to keep her alive. And therefore, I am bad. And that was just another little tip um, or another little, I don't know, marble to the pile of mm. my perfectionistic thoughts mm. that were weighing me down. Absolutely. And a couple years later, we moved to Arizona, and that was away from my home state and first time really ever with my young family away from my support system, my friends, my family. Oh, wow. Um, and my husband was in a residency. Uh, so he was gone a lot. And all of a sudden it was, okay, now I not only don't have my sister, but I don't have my parents. I don't have my friends. I don't have the support. And all of a sudden it was like, whoa, who am I? Who am I without these people? Who am I without, you know, everything? And I just felt my identity crumbling down to nothing. And that is the first time I really hit a very low, low. And I started to just, I wasn't able to really function very well. It was a lot of anxiety, a lot of, and then depression and, and all that just insecurity of feeling like, who am I? You know, I'm not good enough to be a mom. I'm not good enough to be a sister. I'm who's going to love me and accept me in this new place because I can't be perfect. And so who's going to want to be my friend? And so I battled that severe loneliness and it got pretty bad and I was able to start some medication that helped and start some therapy and, and start to get a little better. Hmm. But then we moved again (laughs) because my husband had another year of residency and I got pregnant with my second child and things were good. I was able to find a good friend. I felt like I kind of knew myself a little better, Hmm. but then about six months into my pregnancy, things came tumbling down again. And I would stay up with these anxious, anxious thoughts, not able to sleep, then not able to function, not able. I remember just pacing around in the kitchen, trying to figure out what to make for my daughter. Mm -hmm. And she'd end up eating, 
you know, quesadilla or something, which is fine. Like that should have been fine. But in my mindset, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible mom. I can't even like focus to fix her meals. I am terrible and I shouldn't be a mom. And what am I doing bringing another child into this world? I cannot be good enough. I am not good enough. I'm bad. You know, just those self-hating thoughts of, well, I can't be this perfect mom. I can't be this perfect friend. I can't be a perfect sister. So therefore I'm nothing. It's either all perfect or nothing. And with being pregnant too, and the hormones and everything else, it just got to the point that I wasn't sleeping for months. And when you don't sleep for months and you're not able to eat very well, you can't function, (laughs) especially me. I've always needed my sleep. So I entered into psychosis and I was about eight months pregnant. That was absolutely terrifying. I honestly could do a podcast episode all on psychosis and that experience, but I don't want that to be the focus of this particular episode. Um, But it was very difficult. Basically, I had made the decision to take my life after I had my son because I strongly believe that anyone else could do a better job as a mom than I could. Um, and so I had a plan. I I was going to, and I was very vocal about that plan. I also kind of less lost sense of reality mm. without being able to sleep. That's what psychosis is. You go into this where you become, I became very paranoid kind of lost sense of what was real and what was not. Mm. And, and at that point, my husband drove me to a hospital and I was hospitalized for about 10 days, Mm. Um, got back on some medication, which I was very adamant not to, but because I thought it would affect my baby. But since then, I've learned that um, depression can actually be more harmful Mm. to moms than antidepressants. Mm -hmm. I have a whole episode on that in my podcast and antidepressants and the efficacy. And um, so I learned that afterwards. I didn't know that during that time, but I did get on medication and slowly I got better, but I didn't think it was possible. And so that is why I'm so passionate about sharing my story because I wish if people could see where I was during that time and they could see where I'm at now, I feel like everyone that's struggling would be like, oh my goodness, if she could make it and she was that bad, I can make it too. Um, It was just, yeah, me, me too. And it, it was, it wasn't like a snap of the fingers and I was all better, you know? It's, it's taken time and I'm not a hundred percent. Like I'm not all, everything is not completely rainbows and butterflies. You know, life is hard, life but to be like that. Life exactly. Rainbows and butterflies. Exactly. And that is the difference as I have learned. I put a voice to my struggle. Okay. This is perfectionism. This is what it looks like. This is depression. This is what it looks like. This yeah. is anxiety. Therefore it is not me. Yeah, I learned how to separate my identity from the depression, from the anxiety, from everything that I was labeling myself as. Absolutely. And I learned, you know what? Just like somebody has diabetes, this is a struggle I'm going through. Yeah. And just like somebody has heart disease, this is my struggle right now. And it does not define me. It doesn't have to define my identity. It's just something that I'm going through and I'll figure it out and I'll figure out tools And the hugest thing for me was just realizing that 
Um, And learning that also coming to know a different God than I had believed in because I, I, I've always been very like spirituality has been very important to me and the way that I feel God has viewed me, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't keep going on with a feeling of, you know, a hateful condemning all powerful God. And that was destructive to the way that I viewed myself. And so I had to come to know his true nature, what I believe and perceive as his true nature, Mm -hmm. which is love. You know, I had to see him as love and realize that he was going to love me no matter if I had was full of self-hate, no matter if I was having all these terrible thoughts about myself Mm -hmm. um, and about life and about my family. And no matter what I was going through, he's going to love me. And so to truly perceive him as an all complete loving God that I could have a personal relationship with and work on that, that was life changing for me. And so, you know, there were, there are different, different tools that I have utilized and I'm still utilizing Mm -hmm. to feel like I can be my best self. But I just, I really want to let people know that no matter what they're going through, it it doesn't define you one, it doesn't define your identity, but it can also, you can, you can learn from it. I've learned from it. I wouldn't be doing a podcast if I hadn't gone through it myself. Um, and you can also find there's always tools. There's always hope. Um, and I, I and there's of that it's hard to see that there is hope, but connecting mm-hmm. people, finding resources, seeking help. Um, so that's one of the questions that I want to ask you is what was yeah. one of the things that you said kind of struck with me. And I think it's very important to mention as people are listening to this, that, you know, sometimes we are our hardest critiques and yeah. you know, whether it's your relationship with God or whether it's your relationship with people or how you think people view you. Mm-hmm. As you're going through your mental health struggles, I think it's really important to know that, you know, for whatever reason, if you're finding yourself in the toughest times of your life, know a that it'll pass. Nothing lasts forever. After yeah. Time. You know, see there are different seasons for a reason. You know, after summer, there's winter. After winter, there's spring. After spring, yeah. there's You know, um, af- after every rainy or dark night, there is a, the brightest sunrise, you know. Yeah. So when we're in the thick of it, it's hard to see that, but oh yeah, you know it it does pass. I, I think if we learn to become tolerant and if we learn to become tolerant to uncertainty, we know that mm-hmm. you know, change is inevitable, whether it's good or bad. And second, yes. I think when we are so judgmental to ourselves and we're hardest to ourselves, it's really hard to come out of some of the things that we're going through because we're so busy judging ourselves and we're so hard on ourselves. So mm-hmm. just to give ourselves a little grace as we're going through through this yeah I'm being really hard on myself it's okay not everything has to be perfect not everything has to be right I will get through this and I will love myself regardless of what is going on when you have that kind of outlook in life or outlook mindset I think it makes things so much easier and so much more bearable than being so hard and judging ourselves so much for yeah and it's so interesting because depression makes you feel like the exception absolutely like Oh, well, you know, I don't, everyone else deserves compassion, but not me because look how terrible I am or I've look at what I've done or look at what I haven't done or look at what I'm thinking. And I remember like when I was having crazy thoughts, 
You know, I was, I was like, no way could any other mother ever think this thing, you know, like what kind of mother would want to adopt their child because, um, or like I, I had a moment where I wanted to call child protective services on myself because I was like, I'm like a date. Like I just felt so terrible. And I was like, then I'd have these thoughts of like, what kind of mother would do that? And I've learned I'm definitely not alone. That is depression. That is depression making you feel like the exception that you are the worst person ever, that you can't have hope. You can't get better. Sure. So, and so, and so could, but you can't. Yes. And so it's so vital if you're having those feelings to just realize, okay, that's depression. You know, those thoughts are not really true. They're just depression. I have to trust that things will get better and that I'm not the exception that, you know, countless people have battled these things mm-hmm. and these thoughts. It's not talked about enough, Absolutely. but I mean, that's why we're doing our podcast, right? Like, I mean, we're not, people are not alone. Year, the, more people died by suicide than yeah. by COVID. And that's, not, yeah. you know, a COVID statistic. It's, it, it, it happens every day. It's just that we don't yeah. talk about some of these things and we don't address mm-hmm. the mental health issues that are related to some of the these very deep things that people find themselves going through in their everyday lives. So yeah, the number of people go through it. It's just that we don't talk about it. Like you said, and thus people feel alone. And when you don't have support yeah. from just your story, um, thank you for sharing that raw experience because that's difficult. A lot of us battle perfectionism. A lot of us battle loneliness and that's a hard thing yeah. to go through. But when you're in those thick of those moments and you're going through that midst of that stuff, you think you're the only one going through it. And that's yeah. very hard because then you feel all alone, even though, you know, um, you have so many people around you who are going through the same things. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, just having that support, that's why having that support is so important and vital. Yeah, definitely. And it was really hard for me too, because when I would struggle, I would see my little daughter struggle. Like we were so connected and she could feel my feelings. And when I was feeling really miserable and I would try to keep on putting on a show, I try to smile when I felt terrible, but I was, I was very sensitive during that time too. I think when you're struggling with mental illness, you become more sensitive. And so she would see me cry and see me do things that, you know, I didn't want to have her see me do. And then I'd have these thoughts of like, okay, I'm ruining her life. You know, like she's obviously not, she would have more tantrums than normal. And she, I would see her react. Mm -hmm. And there was, oh, there was this one time that I was, when I was just struggling really bad and talking to my mom, um, that I told her like, I'm going to end up homeless and we're going to have to live on the streets. And, you know, like I just felt, I thought I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't even hold down a job at this point. I had to quit my job Mm. and my husband had a great job, but you know, I wasn't being logical. And I said that in front of my little girl. And then I watched her draw a picture of a train and she was like, we're going to be homeless and we're living on this train. And so watching things like that just broke my heart. Like Mm. it, cemented those thoughts of, okay, I'm ruining her. I'm ruining, like, it was really, really, really hard for me to see it impact Mm. my precious little girl who I loved so much and made getting better really hard. But 
just if anyone else is experiencing that and seeing the effects on their kids, now she's happy. She doesn't do anything like that anymore. She feels secure. I feel secure. You know, kids are adaptable. Absolutely. Our brains are adaptable. So we are adaptable. Because, you yeah. know, I think to that like through that point of adaptable is that you know there's such a in, especially in depression there's a whole concept of epigenetics and intergenerational trauma you know a lot of times we whether we know it or not we pass it down to our kids but yeah. when we break the cycle by healing for ourselves we role model to our kids healing yes adaptiveness looks like so i'm so glad yeah. you mentioned that because you know even though we pass it down to our kids that's 50% genetic but the other 50%, which is 10% environmental and 40% is our perception of events when we go through them, which are triggered as we go through life, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times. So when you heal from it, when you adapt and when you yeah. have skills because of your healing, it can have such a bigger impact on them as human beings. Yeah. They become so much more resilient and so much more. Exactly. Um, uh, and well, then well co- adapted in society. Yes, no, that's so true. And it is kind of like this might seem silly to look at it this way, but lately I've been thinking about this. I feel like it's almost a gift mm. that we all have similar struggles within our family because say my daughter got placed in a family where mental illness wasn't an issue. Absolutely. You have this mom that can't empathize with her. Absolutely. You can't, she has no idea what she's going through. She doesn't have any access to the tools. Yes. But look at what I've done, yes. what I've had to do to survive. Absolutely. So if she has the same struggle, look at all these tools that I can hand over to her. Absolutely. And look at how I can empathize with her and, and just be there and true. love her through it all. Amazing. Because you know what breaking the cycle looks like. It's, yeah. You know, this is what. Yeah. And. Uh, you know, with epigenetics, we can't stop what we give to our kids if we haven't planned it enough or if we don't know better enough um, Mm -hmm. or uh, ahead of time. But once we get to that place where we work on it, we work on ourselves, we, you know, things like depression, anxiety, most of the mood disorders, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. postpartum depression, a lot of those things are very easily treated when I say easy, yeah. it's not easy to go through it nor is it no. easy to treat but it is treatable so those things yeah can- there are many tools available more now than ever before absolutely so you know um it's absolutely important that we break the cycle so that yeah. we a better generation of kids who not just if they receive these things from their parents or receive you know mental genetic uh, or we're predisposed to mental illness but they also then are growing up with parents who are into mindfulness, into, yeah. you know, um, awareness, into consciousness. They, they grow up with very conscious parenting, which is not the case that happened with you and I when we got got through our mm. mental illnesses and mental health difficulties yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I love that perspective. I listened to a podcast yesterday where it was all about anxiety and the lady was a counselor and she was like, honestly, I can honestly say I'm grateful for my anxiety. Yeah. And she's like, without my anxiety, I wouldn't know how to empathize with my patients. And she's like, I just had to learn to separate my identity from anxiety. And when I was feeling anxious to say, oh, that's my anxiety talking. I'm going to listen to it. Is there anything that I need to learn from it? Like, I know it's trying to protect me, but just to see it as not even like, not a bad thing, but just something, something that 
you're going through and maybe there's something to it, you know, listen yeah. to it. And same with my, with our, our kids, if they're feeling anxious, you know, ask them, well, what's going on and what can be, what's the worst case scenario? Okay. If that happens, we'll do this. You know, it's, yes. if you bring it out into the light, yes. it becomes so much less scary. And then you can realize, okay, it's not this terrible thing that's going to make my life miserable forever. Absolutely. It's just something that I'm, my, I'm dealing with and I'll figure out how to get through it. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's cool. making it not a monster anymore. It's just something, yeah. no, no, because <laughs> you and, know, and that's one of the things that we teach in, you know, in our psychoeducation with our patients is that one of the biggest things that we teach are, I find myself teaching my clients is that, and I think it's a big that the emotional intelligence is a big part of it. You know, it's like if you know mm-hmm. that your emotions are supposed to be your alert system. They're trying to tell you something. Yeah, right? and there's no good. There's yeah. no bad. They're yeah. just emotions. <laughs> you know, when we treat diabetes or when we have diabetes, um, when we have blood pressure, we say we have it. We don't we don't become diabetes or we don't become our blood pressure. Whereas with mental illness, we become you know crazy, quote unquote, or depressed, quote unquote. No, we have depression. We have anxiety. We have psychosis. It's not who we are. And when you, yeah. when you let, it's just what you're experiencing. Absolutely. And when you let your emotions talk to you and you notice what you're feeling at that moment, because emotions and feelings are not the same thing. There's a whole yeah. thing to it. But um, when you notice where you're feeling them in your body, then you clear that energy out. You use all these tools. You figure out what mm-hmm. to do with it. You learn from it. And one of the biggest yeah. things is you ask yourself the right questions. Not why yeah. me, but what what is this trying to teach me? What am I supposed to yeah. learn from this? What is me going through this doing for what my now? greater good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's beautifully said. And that kind of goes back to the perfectionism, you know, thinking about emotions. I was like... Yeah, I have to be happy. I have to be in my sister too. I have to be the light of the party, you know, in my sister's case. I have to be friendly. I have to back down if someone's being like, you know, like I just had this perception as a Christian, you're taught all these things and that's who I had to be 24 seven. So if those feelings came up, if I felt angry, oh, that's bad. That's condemning. Like I'm going to hell. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> if I felt sad, like, oh, that's a bad thing yeah, that you mentioned, oh, I, I got a relationship with God. Yeah. As opposed to God yeah. and you are down here instead yeah. of being equal and looking at your spirituality mm-hmm. as, as a part of you and having a relationship with yeah. that as opposed to being condemned or punished for yes. the right. Yeah. I've learned that is not God's voice. And for me, that is not God's voice. And when I pray, mm-hmm. it's amazing. I'll, I'll give him my heart. I'll say, you know, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling angry. Yeah. This is what I'm feeling. Yeah. What can I do? Yeah. What can I do? And it's the feeling I get, the thoughts that I receive, it's like love, it's validation. It's, yes. yeah, you should, you do oh, feel that way. And I understand, yeah. you know, those are, that's a hard thing you're going through. Yes. This is what you can do. This is one thing you can do to change. Yes. How, let's work on that. Let's yes. work on this. And it's, it's like, it's not a, oh, you're going to hell if you don't do this. It's right. a, yeah, I see you. I understand you. And this is how you can improve and I'll help you along the way, you know? And so that's been a huge, yeah, because I just couldn't 
I couldn't keep on going living if I felt like God hated me. And then I realized, yeah, that's not God. (laughs) And that was a huge part of a huge part of my healing and my continuous healing. Absolutely. Um, so beautifully said, I really appreciate you sharing some of your raw story and some of the uh, very deep, dark things that you have been through. And I'm so glad that you are now able to, you've healed enough or you've healed or come to a place where you can now talk about it. You can, you know, make an impact in other people's lives and share your stories, um, with people, even through your podcast that that's amazing and magnificent that, you know, you've come to a place where you now share your uh, struggles with people to give them hope because, um, and that was very similar to what my um, vision for this podcast was, was, you know, I just wanted to instill hope in people when they're going through dark times or inspire people to know that, you know, we all go through ups and downs. We all get those, um, uh, we, you know, suffering and pain in our life. It's what we do and what it's trying to teach us and what we make of it that we become and align with our higher being and evolve as a result of yes. that. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Um, So tell us how people can find you. And as we're coming to an end of of the show, tell us a little bit about how people can find you and what, um, where can you be reached? I'll put all that in my show notes, but just so people can know. Of course. So you can listen to my podcast pretty much anywhere the main places podcasts are. Um, But I do have a website. It's www.lightingtheshadows.org and my podcast is fairly new um, but my new year's resolution is to start publishing every week I was doing bi-weekly before and I think I'm only on like episode seven or eight so starting tomorrow I'm publishing every week so I'm very excited about that um and I do have a social social media I have uh, on Instagram, Lighting the Shadows, and on Facebook, Lighting the Shadows. Beautiful. So, yeah, definitely. If you, um, I also have an email mm-hmm. if people want to connect one on one, it's host.lightingshadows at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, uh, connect with me. I would love to hear more about your story, where you're at, Absolutely. and hopefully provide tools for healing and hope. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate you being here today and sharing your amazing, amazing life experiences and the person that you've become as a result of um, sort of, de- you know, dealing with your ha- trauma head on. And I know it wasn't easy from the sounds of your story, but I, I don't think anything that is, you know, very profound comes easily. I think it takes no. time. I think it takes struggles. Mm-hmm. I think how we look at it. I think it's the help we get through it. And I think it's the place of healing that we reach at and mm-hmm. the place of healing that we're at um, makes makes that story so profound and our sense of being so profound. So um, thank you so much for being here today. And um, yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's so really appreciate it and thank you so much guys for tuning in today again as usual i really appreciate you being here and i'm so thankful for you tuning in every week um and listening to our guests and ongoing feedback that we receive from you so thank you so much until next time hope you have a very wonderful and blessed day um 